Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. So glad you can join us. Are we ready for the word this morning? The church said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite Pastor Ken Lamb to bring the word this morning. Give him a hand as he comes out. Thank you so much, Pastor Ken. Thank you, Pastor Randall. Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to be in church. I was glad when they say to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's wonderful. This morning, I propose to speak to us about blessings and responsibilities. So the, if you're after a title, people love titles to sermons, so I can understand that. So I've concocted a title. It's called Huge Blessings, Big Responsibility. So uh, we'll start. The year was about AD 62. The place, Rome. An aging man chained to a Roman soldier was kept under house arrest against his will because what he would have loved to do most would be to go out to the then known world, the Mediterranean and Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he couldn't, his wings were clipped, so to speak, suffering hardship under house arrest. He asked himself, what can I do now? Let me ask you a question. If you were Paul, the apostle, what would you do? What, what, what would you do? You, you chained via a long chain to a Roman soldier. You have some limited freedom, but none at all. What would you do? His mind went back to the years that were immediately preceding this moment. Eight years ago, eight years prior, he had ministered in a place called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a major city in Asia Minor. And uh, there were tremendous results in that city. So as he sat there, he decided, let me write a letter. So he wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, it wasn't just a letter to a church. It was meant to be a circular letter, meaning it'll be read all over Asia Minor, across different churches. And uh, so he did. His mind went back to eight years ago. Paul had arrived in that city and had preached for three years 
three full years preaching and teaching, and there were tremendous results. People were converted, Jews and Gentiles, and they followed the, this new teaching about the way. And uh, so much so, the impact was so tremendous, handkerchiefs and aprons taken from the body of Paul when laid upon the sick, the sick were healed. When they were laid upon the demonized, the demonized were set free. And as a result of that, news went abroad like wildfire. Everyone gathered round the building where they met, and uh, the, the people even took all of their magic books and occultic paraphernalia, and they just put them in a heap, and they made a huge bonfire. Such was the impact in Ephesus. So his mind went back, what shall I write to them? Now that I'm housebound, what shall I write? Let me ask you a question. What would you write if you were Paul? What would you write? And so Paul decided to write about huge blessings and big responsibility. That's what he did. And so, what are these blessings? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. That's one of the earliest verses in that entire book, okay? Verse 3. Uh, that passage really is verse 3 to verse 14. It's what the Jews call the Baraka. It, it's, a, it's an anthem of praise to the Lord. There is no full stop in Greek. It, it's, it's almost like Paul was so exhilarated and excited with intense joy that he forgot how to put a full stop. He just kept on and on and on and on talking about blessings. So he starts with this. I counted yesterday in the New International Version, there are seven full stops in, in, in that passage, verses 3 to 14. But in the original Greek that Paul wrote, there's not a single full stop. He was so excited, he tripped himself over with excitement and just piled phrase upon phrase upon phrase of blessings to the Lord. So let's look at verse 3, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just one short verse, there are three references to blessings. Well, the first one is, blessed be the God. That blessed is man-made. That blessed was made by Paul. I bless you, Lord. See, our blessing to the Lord is by praise. I bless you, Lord. Look at the second blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. That second bless is performed by God. God blesses by actions and deeds, whereas we bless Him via our 
grace. That's the difference. Anyway, there are blessings in the heavenly places. These blessings are spiritual. Now, there are two kinds of blessings. There are earthly blessings and there are spiritual heavenly blessings. Well, every one of us enjoy earthly blessings. The Lord makes the sun to shine on the good and evil. The Lord makes rain to, to rain down on good and evil people. The, these are earthly blessings. We all have a measure of health. We all have friends and relationships and family and loved ones. We have the capacity to enjoy good music and, and the arts. These are earthly blessings. We enjoy these blessings simply by being born into the human race. That's how it works. We're born into the, into the human race, therefore we enjoy human earthly blessings. There is, on the other hand, spiritual heavenly blessings. These blessings, which is what Paul is talking about, can only be enjoyed by those who are born into the kingdom of God. And very few people enjoy these heavenly blessings because the Bible tells us narrow is the road that leads to heaven, broad is the way that leads to hell, another place. So, the sad thing is, a lot of people are just, just chasing after earthly blessings. That is the sad thing. And, and what is equally sad, a lot of Christians who ought to know better are chasing after earthly blessings, as if the heavenly realm does not exist in their, in their mindset. Paul uses two metaphors. Two metaphors. The next slide, thank you. Paul uses two metaphors or symbols or illustrations, all right, to describe God's blessings. Firstly, adoption. We'll go through this. Let's read Ephesians 1, verse 4. By the way, huge blessings, big responsibility, that is the theme of the book of Ephesians. So if you are scratching your head, what is this book all about? Just remember this. Blessings responsibility. That's, if you know these two words, that's enough for Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians 1 verse 4, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, verse 5, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Such lofty language that Paul uses. No wonder it's blessing after blessing after blessing. He just couldn't contain himself. In 1985, Michael Jackson and, what's the name of this guy? Lionel Richie, oh yes. Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie co-authored a song and they presented that song at a 
festival, which purpose was to raise money for famine in Africa. That was in 1985. The name of that song is, and you know it, We Are The World. And the chorus goes like this. We are the world, we are the children. But before the first chorus of that tune is this line. We're all a part of God's great big family. They were affirming that everyone is a child of God. All of us on earth, born, as long as you are born in the human way, you are automatically children of God. How, how unbiblical that is. Not everyone born into the human family belongs to the spiritual kingdom above. Not everyone. Although all of us are God's creation, only a minority belong to the kingdom of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, for example. For example, it's not on the screen. I'll read it out to you. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. So Paul never calls, in fact, the Bible never calls Unbelievers, children of God. They are referred to in different terms. For example, Paul here says, we were, before our conversion, we were children of wrath. Jesus, talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said this, you belong to your father, the devil. There is no reference whatsoever to unbelievers, to being, them being children of God. He predestined us, verse 5, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. When God adopted us, he gave us a legal, legal standing, uh, a real uh, objective status, enabling us to stand before God with no fear, with, absolutely, with absolute confidence, acceptance, and love. He's our loving Father, after all. When Jesus was on earth, he used a term to address his father. He used that Aramaic term, Abba, which is an, a term of endearment. Father, one who loves me. The Jews never used this. The Jews up to today uses different terms to address God the Father. For example, they say Adonai, which means Lord. I bow before, and, and that's an appropriate term. It is appropriate for us to say, you are master and Lord. And the Jews also would sometimes make reference to the name, the name, because they, they dare not pronounce that holy, exalted name. So they say the name out of deep reverence. Jesus used the term Abba. Father. It shocked the 12 disciples. They were shocked. Nobody addresses God the Father like this. Now, it doesn't mean we play loose and fancy and say, Father, he, he's easygoing. 
there's also that mixture of reverence that we need to have. But above it all, above all, God is a loving heavenly Father. When the Apostle Paul talks about adoption as sons of God in the New Testament, twice he uses the term, although he wrote in Greek, he borrowed that Aramaic term, Abba. For example, Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Paul borrows that same word that Jesus uses. Why? Why does he do this? Well, the reason is this. He wants to tell us this, that, that special relationship that Jesus had with his father, we can have. That is the same relationship that I, I have that same warmth. I have that same embrace. You have that same warmth and embrace from Abba, Father. Although he's Adonai, although he's sovereign. All, you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Okay. So he is incredibly loving. That's who he is. You and I are privileged, incredibly privileged. That's why it's huge blessings, blessing upon blessing. The evening before Jesus was betrayed, he prayed this prayer in John chapter 17, verse 23. In a nutshell, it's this. Father, I pray they, Abba, I pray they would be perfectly united as one, as I am one with you, and that so that the world may know that you, Abba, has sent me, and that you have loved them as you have loved me. That is absolutely incredible. Jesus is saying, God loves Lien, Ango. Lena, Ken, God loves all of these people, flesh and blood, just like he loved his son Jesus. That's absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Oh, he loves us. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. How did God love his son? How? God loved his son before the foundations of the earth. That means it wasn't like a, a plan that was made up along the way. He decidedly, he decidedly, eagerly wanted to love his son. And that's the same love he has for us. There is not a single bit of reluctance, not a single bit of reservation, like, let me... Let me think it over, whether I should love that person. He loves us. He loves us. Such incredible eagerness and earnestness and relentlessness. He just loves us on and on and on and on. He would say, it's a pleasure to love you, Ango. It's a pleasure. This is God speaking. It's a pleasure to love you, Lena. This is God speaking to every single one of us. It's a pleasure. And in fact, I find it easy to love you, Ango. That's what God is saying. 
He loves us. Oh, well, you don't know. I fail so badly. I backslide. I have these evil thoughts. I'm, I'm a hypocrite. God loves you. God loves you. His love is relentless. It never ceases. The only moment He ceases to love you is when you've, you decidedly turn your back and walk out on Him, which we never do. We never do. We sin. Yes, we, we are hypocritical. We, we are double-minded. We, we are faithless. We, we're faithless. He remains faithful. He remains faithful. His love is relentless. You know, those of us who have lived long enough know that life is tough. We know that life can be rough. Sleepless nights, anxiety, worry, fear. What's the future going to look like? Who's going to take care of this on my behalf? Doubts, fears, anger, betrayal, letdowns. God loves you. God loves you. Even in those moments when you toss and turn in bed. He adopted us as sons and therefore as heavenly father towards sons. Sons covers daughters too. He loves us. He loves us. Before he adopted us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. See, God, the Bible never addresses normal human beings, children of God. They are either sons of disobedience or children of the devil or this is the truth. It is not palatable to modern ears. We are the world. We're all a part of God's great big family. Wrong. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. We were held captive when, we're, when we were sons of disobedience. We were held captive by the devil. We were debased by him. We became depraved. We were perverted by him. And God adopted us. God lifted us out of that. You know, when we were there in degradation and debasement and perversion, you know, what was our favorite motto? What is our favorite slogan? My will be done. When God adopted us, He made everything new. He changed us. We were accepted. We were honored. We were esteemed. We were valued. And from there on, our motto became, Thy will be done. That's the difference. Adoption is a tremendous privilege. There is nothing in the world that could compare with the spiritual aspects of adoption that Paul was talking about. However, perhaps, perhaps, his mind went back to the Roman practice of adoption. Today, when we adopt someone, we normally adopt a little baby. I have a sister. She was adopted. I remember going as a 10-year-old boy 
to the adoptee's home with my parents, and there was this little baby girl, tiny little baby girl, and I remember they taking baby girl home and said, today you are the brother to the sister. So I, I know full well what it means, adoption. It is a wonderful thing, but it's different. The, the way the Romans practice adoption is different. The Romans, during the time of Jesus, adopted adults, and mainly men. It happens in this manner. A rich man or a powerful Roman man, he is about to pass on. And so he says, what's going to happen to my future? Well, I'm going to make sure somebody takes over the steering wheel and, and, and really prosper this thing on my behalf, as if I'm living. For example, Julius Caesar adopted Gaius Octavius, who became Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the emperor when Jesus Christ was born and who, who issued the decree, everyone goes back to their village to be registered. That's the Caesar Augustus. Julius Caesar adopted Caesar Augustus and immediately he gave himself the name Augustus, great one. And he attached the name Caesar to himself. And most adoptees in the Roman world perform very well. They live up to the wishes of the adopter. Most of the Roman emperors who did well were adopted. Tiberius, Caesar Augustus, and Hadrian, and, and so on and so on. If, in fact, if you want to look at a list of accomplished uh, Roman men during that time, just look at the list, at the list of adopted Roman men. That, that's the saying. That, that's what some researcher did and said in the 1400s, 1500s. So adoption is something good. God adopted us. There is an expectation from God that upon being adopted, we step up and we become what he intends for us to become, which is to become like Jesus, born into the image of Jesus. So the second metaphor, the second blessing is this word, and it's in Ephesians 1 verse 7, redemption. In him, Ephesians 1 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. In the old days, the pawnbroker's shop, uh, these days it's rare. The pawnbroker's shop is it's a rarity. Well, cash converters could, could, would be one of them. But if you are running low in funds, you just need $1,000, just say. You're, you're running low in funds. And you've got a $10,000 racing bike, brand new. And so you say, all right, I'll take this to the pawnbroker's shop. And you take it there, and, and you say, I want to take a loan of $1,000. This thing is valued at 10 times the loan. So the pawnbroker would say, all right, you've got 30 days to redeem it. Come back in 30 days, you get your racing bike back. 
And of course, when you come back to pay the loan of $1,000, you got to pay a hefty fee. That's what pawnbroking is about. So you, when you pay that fee and the loan, you get your bike back. Jesus Christ paid that price. It was huge for our redemption, his own blood. And now we belong to him. You know, what is redemption? Redemption is this. Redemption is regaining possession and ownership through paying a price. That's redemption. That's redemption. The year was 1801, the day, 2nd of April. A fleet of English Royal Navy ships arrived at Copenhagen Harbor to confront the combined navies of Norway and Denmark. Soon after the first shots, cannons were fired. The admiral leading this fleet could see that several ships were floundering on his side, were struggling. So he decided, he said to his aide, send the signal, send the signal back off. Call off the attack. So the signal was sent. On board another ship was the vice admiral. His aide said to him, Sir, we have been ordered to pull back. But from his vantage point, this vice admiral could see there is a narrow window of opportunity that if pursued, would win the day. So he said to his aide, give me the telescope. You know, I have the right to be blind. He was blind in one eye. So he took the telescope and put it to his blind eye. No signal. I can't see any signal. Push on ahead. And they won the battle. That vice admiral's name, Horatio Nelson, went back home to a hero's welcome. I have the right to not see. Nelson did it by deception and cunning. But God had the right to not see our sins because in him, we have redemption through his blood, which covers our sins. I have the right to not see. And God did it the right way, legally, absolutely righteous, as opposed to Nelson. When that bike was pawned, nobody could use it. It was just sitting in the pawnbroker's shop doing nothing. Not even the pawnbroker could touch it and use it. You and I were like this. We were in that unredeemed state, unusable, hopeless, just resting, sitting there, doing nothing. When we were redeemed, oh, the Lord can use us. The Lord loves to use us. No wonder Paul bursts forth with such 
exhilaration and joy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And on and on he went on for, for 12 verses without a full stop. He just couldn't contain his excitement. We need to be excited about our inheritance. We have been adopted. Our sins are covered. We have been redeemed. We have, we, we have been made useful again. The devil can no longer take us back. We don't belong to him anymore. Wonderful good news. You know, wonderful good news, which I don't feel it. I, I, I feel so rotten. I, I don't feel this love thing from God. Well, well, when you really think it deep and let it sink. You know, people say, let it get into your spirit. What does that mean? What, 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 I don't know what that means. Well, it means this. Think it so deep that it, it really captures you, captures your will and your emotions and your heart and your everything. Let it, God really, truly loves rotten Ken. Wow. Think it deep. Right, we've dealt with the huge blessings, and there are more. Paul just simply uses two metaphors. Well, what is our big responsibility? So we turn to our big responsibility now, and we turn to Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now, the big responsibility is to walk as a citizen of God's kingdom. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You know, in the original language, that is a very harsh, strong word. Paul says, I insist. That's, that's how he wrote it in Greek. I insist that you don't go back anymore. That's, that's the strength of Paul's words. You no longer walk as the Gentiles do in their trespasses and sins, following the cause of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. No more. That's what he says. Here are three references in the book of Ephesians concerning walking. We'll just put them up, either on block or one by one by one, all right? So, Walk in good works, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. So, what is our responsibility? Good works. Do good. Do good. Do good. As good had been done to poor rotten me. Do good. Do good. Shall I say it again? Do good. Here's another thing. Walk. Walk in love. Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. Love. Third one. Walk in the light. Walk in the light. For Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time, you were darkness. 
Paul was very clear. You were darkness. You were, you were deep in sin. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Is God asking too much of poor, rotten sinners like you and I to do this? It sounds so impossible. Well, firstly, no one, not one of us will be perfect in this world. So therefore, we will still stumble, we will still fall, we will, but, but the trajectory, the, the trajectory from here on is, it's like a graph. It's trending your way, trending up, but there will be dips and drops along the way. But, but overall, it'll be trending up. Is God asking too much still? Is He still asking too much? Well, well, He, you know, God is not saying, To us, I want you to do something not natural to you. You are in darkness. You were in darkness. You no longer are. Therefore, you can walk in light. If you've been on a farm, do you know how cows get up from a resting, sitting position. Cows come up, from, firstly, from their rear legs, their hind legs. That's how they do it. Horses, horses get up. Those of you who own horses, a courageous. They, they get up from their forelegs. Why? It's natural for them. A, a cow does not come up from, from his or her forelegs. Always hind legs. And, and a horse never hind legs. A horse always comes up four legs. O always. It's natural. That's how they're made. Well, G God is saying, <clears throat> you are light. So now you can consistently walk in the light. N now you can get up from your four legs, not your hind legs anymore. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul is saying. So walk as citizens of the kingdom of God. Here's a second responsibility. It's a big one. Both these responsibilities are big. Here's, an, here's the next one. <clears throat> Serve as an ambassador. Well, you know, by any measure, Paul's ministry at Ephesus was a incredible success by any measure. I, I mean, there was a huge revival. Despite this, there was tremendous opposition. You know, because the people of Ephesus worshipped Artemis. In Greek, her name is Artemis. In Roman, Latin, her name is Diana. This is the Huge idol that, that, that was worshipped for hundreds of years in Ephesus. And that was the same reason Demetrius was a silversmith at Ephesus. And uh, he stirred up a mob because his business was starting to fall off. Because ev everyone 
who used to buy shrines, little shrines of Artemis from him, are now no longer buying such items from him. His money is, is getting scarce. So he, he stirs up his fellow silversmiths, and they, they went to the stadium, and for two hours, the Bible tells us, they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Two hours. They don't even do it for the Maroons here. <laughs> Two hours. So you can see how, how big that opposition was. And so Paul had to leave town. So he left town. And, and since leaving town, he's heard on top of these things, this worship and, and silversmiths and so on, false teaching has been creeping in. These false teachers have a semblance of Christianity, but they, they, have, they have got a mixture of Greek superstitions. They have a mixture of, of idol worship. They, they even have twisted forms of interpreting the Jewish laws, introduced into the teaching of this new way. Paul was absolutely concerned. He says, we need to defend the evangel, which is the gospel. We need to defend this and, and then speak up for it. So, he writes Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, it's, it's not about Demetrius. He's flesh and blood. We're not fighting him. We're fighting the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We've got to rush on. So, he is saying the huge, big responsibility you and I have is the gospel. Defending the gospel because there is a, it's a big warfare going on. Three times Paul refers to himself as being a prisoner in the book of Ephesians. Three times. Trust me. Three times. Okay? Twice it says this. I, a prisoner of the Lord, or I, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Why, why does he say this? Why doesn't he say, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome? He is saying, my captor is not Rome. My captor is Jesus Christ. And therefore, I take orders from him. That's what he's saying. And then in the third instance, when he uses this, when he, he makes reference to his being a prisoner, he says this in Ephesians 6.20, which is not on the slide. That's okay. I am an ambassador in chains. I am an ambassador, a captive to do the bidding of my captor. I'm not a captive of Rome. 
I'm not, Rome is not my captor. I don't take instructions from Rome. What a man. And what an example. And so should we. And so can we. So this letter to the Ephesian church is all about two things. Blessings and responsibility. Huge blessings. And we need to walk as a citizen, as an ambassador as well. Because there is an expectation when God has adopted us, just as the Roman emperor adopted another emperor, there is an expectation that the, the emperor following would, would, keep fur, would further the goals of the, the adopter. Well, there is an expectation on God's part as well that we, having been adopted, that we further his cause. Amen? Amen. I want to pray for us. Would you, if you can, stand up. I'd like you to put your hand to your heart. <clears throat> Not on your neighbor's heart, okay? On your heart. <laughs> I will pray. Lord, thank you for your servant, Paul. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. You loved Jesus, and you loved us as you loved him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We are grateful. You are forever to be praised. And, and our blessing to you is by praising. That's all we can do. But your blessing to us, you have shown it by deeds and action. We thank you, Lord. And we thank you for the example of Paul. Lord, I pray from amongst our midst, you will raise up many Pauls, O Lord. Men and women adopted who would go forth to do the work that you have assigned us to do. So bless us this day. Keep us this coming week in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.